This is our final shear in the summer series, and it's been really, really a tremendous pleasure to learn with everybody. And uh, I thank you all for continuing to make me grow through this experience of learning together. So thank you all for coming. Uh, this morning's shear is sponsored by Shani and Gavri Butler in great honor to their grandmother, Mrs. Beverly Libin, who celebrated a wonderful birthday this week, a great milestone. And uh, we just wish you, we join together with your family and with this entire community in wishing you an arichas yamen vishanim and much, much continued nachas and simcha from your beautiful, beautiful family. And we hope that we'll be able to have many future opportunities to celebrate together with you. Uh, last week's year, we spoke about Tuba Av. And a number of the listeners here in our shul and online had written to me how could it be that you spoke about Tuba Av and you neglected to mention the most obvious, most significant part of Tuba Av? And I understand that. Why do you think it's the most significant? Because it's the only thing that has advertisements in the newspapers. So the Gemara does tell us a lot about Tuba Av, as we mentioned last week. I did not forget that Tuba Av also has a connection to Shaduchim. I also read the same newspapers as you. So um, I intentionally skipped it because I thought that it was worthy of a discussion on its own. I think it's worthy of a discussion on its own, and that's really what I want to delve into this morning. Not so much Tuba Av, but just how the Gemara frames a little bit about the process of Shidduchim in the times of Chazal, and things that we can maybe learn, a number of very critical points that are made, and that's what I really, really like to spend our time this morning focusing on. Halavai. Halavai, that our discussion about Shidduchim should bring about some kind of positive result for all those who need it, and we should really all just use it as an opportunity to try and go out of our way to help those who need our assistance. Shaduchim happen when people are mindful, when people think about each other. You don't need to be a professional. You need to just be mindful of other people. You need to think about it. I try to be mindful. I'm horrible at this. I've retired from this job because I'm really bad at it. My wife maybe tries better and, and knows a little bit more. But um, if you're the kind of person that has some kind of intuition, you should really try and, and be as helpful as you can be. So let's begin with the primary source which is not the Five Towns Jewish Times. The primary source is a Mishnah in Mesechas Tainus. So the Mishnah writes in Mesechas Tainus, let's look at number Aleph on the source sheet. The two most jovial celebrated days on the Jewish calendar, the two most festive days on the Jewish calendar were Chamisha Asr Ba'av, as we said last week, Tu Ba'av, <coughs> as well as Yom HaKippurim. Now, we spoke last week what happened on Tuba Av, a whole bunch of different items that we mentioned, but now the Gemara mentions another one. What happened both on Tuba Av as well as Yom HaKippurim, says the Gemara, and we're going to go back, we're going to refer back to this um, discussion that the Gemara has throughout the year. So the Gemara tells us, Shabahen benos Yerushalayim Yotzos, on that day, twice a year, on Tuba Av and on Yom HaKippurim, the girls in Yerushalayim used to go outside. Bekli lavan shu'ulin. They used to borrow white clothing from others. Shu'ulin means borrowed. Shalolavayesh esmisha enlo. In order not to embarrass anybody who couldn't afford to have their own. So everybody used to borrow clothing. Everybody's clothing were white. Everybody wore the same plain garments outside that day. In order that everybody should feel a sense of equality. And what did they do? And these girls in these borrowed white clothing used to go outside into the vineyards 
And what did they say? Obviously, there were young men who knew to be there as well. And what did they say? Bachur, young man, you looking for a shidduch? Look around and see what you are actually looking for. Don't be superficial. Don't only look at how my face looks or how my clothing are. All of us here have the same clothing. And they make it very clear to all these young men that there are certain standards, there are certain qualities that you should be looking for in a shidduch. And the qualities you should be looking for are not the superficial ones. What do they tell them? Look at my family. It doesn't mean look only at my family. There are people who come from families that are very broken homes and are wonderful people and have great lives. There are people who come from great families and are terrible people. I don't think it's what the Gemara means. I think the Gemara means zoom out the lens a little bit. Look into the whole package of what you're getting. Understand that it's not just the superficial face that you see or the clothing that I wear. Understand what I am all about and it's a very, very full picture that you should look at before you decide who you're going to marry. Shanemar, as the Pasuk says, Sheker hachein vehevel hayofi isha yiras Hashem hitisal. I'll be honest, if I went on a date and a girl would tell me, you know, Sheker hachein vehevel hayofi, I, I would have a hard time marrying her. But here the Mishnah says that this is, this is what we are told took place twice a year. Once on Tuba Av and the second time on Yom Kippur. There are many who have wondered. I don't know if you're wondering, but I find this very puzzling. Yom Kippur, which is the most solemn day of the year, the most serious day of the year. That's the appropriate time for everyone to get dressed up, go outside and have a singles event. Does that really make so much sense? You know, Tosas writes, why do we read the Parsha of Arias on Yom Kippur? By Mincha on Yom Kippur. What do you think we should read by Mincha, Kriyas Atar on Yom Kippur? We should read something about, I don't know, we should read something that has to do with the holy day. And yet we choose Arayos to speak about. Because it's something everybody needs to be reminded of, something everybody needs to be very careful about. So this seems so out of place. It seems so ill-suited to go on Yom Kippurim outside and have a social scene and have all the boys and girls mingling. Of course, Shaduchim are very important. But Yom Kippur doesn't seem to be the right time to do that. Why not on the first day of Sukkot? That would seem to be a more appropriate time. So this is the question that many, many are bothered with. So I saw an astoundingly creative understanding, analysis, of the Teferis Yisrael and his commentary on Mishnayis. Just so creative. It's not the Pshat. I just want to put it out before we get into the, the real understanding of this Mishnah. It's not the Pshat but it's a beautiful and creative understanding that he suggests. He points us to a Pasuk in Shir Hashirim. We know in Shir Hashirim there are so many different metaphors that are used to describe the relationship between ourselves and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And in describing that relationship, at one point the Navi says that our relationship is Bachur Ka'arazim. We talk about HaKadosh Baruch Hu like he is the Bachur, like he is the young man who's marrying us, his wife. He's a Bachur and he's looking for a bachura. He's looking for a young woman to marry. And we are the ones that he chooses. Says the Teferis Yisrael, if we see that the Navi describes HaKadosh Baruch Hu as a bachur, then maybe that's what this is referring to. This, he says, is really just metaphorical. This is an allegory. This is just symbolic. 
and we go on Yom Kippurim, and we turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, our Bachar, our young man that we want to get married to, that we want to have a relationship with. And we say to him, Al Don't look at how beautiful we are. We know that we made many mistakes. And we know there are many things that aren't the way they should be. And we know that we have upset you over the past year. And we know we're not as beautiful as you expected us to be. But don't look at us in that light. Don't be superficial. We say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Look where we come from. We come from strong roots. We, the Jewish people, come from Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and we have a strong legacy behind us. And it's a legacy that you chose, and it's a legacy that you promised that you were going to stand behind, that be related to, and be connected with. Now that it's Yom HaKippurim, we turn to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and say, don't judge us by what you see. Look at the full package. Look at where we come from. Look at where our destiny is headed. Look how much more we have the ability to accomplish. Sheker hachein vehevel yofi. Maybe there are others in the world who are doing a better job than we are. Maybe their altruism goes beyond the altruism of ourselves. Maybe the way that they're behaving could be a little bit more, you know, positive in your eyes. But sheker hachein vehevel yofi. Says the Teferis Yisrael, that's what this is all about, and that's why on Yom Kippurim, this is what they shared. It's not that anybody went out to have a singles event. It's that they had this conversation with the Ribbon Shalom, and they begged the Ribbon Shalom to please see past what's on the superficial level of every Jew. Obviously, it's a very beautiful, creative, and interesting insight, but the simple understanding, of course, is not the way that the Pharisee Israel suggests. Simple understanding is that there was actually a physical gathering of men and women who got together on Yom Kippur and on Tuba Av to try to find Shaduchim. And this is very troubling. It's hard to understand it. So let's try to spend some time understanding what this is all about. And for that, we turn to the beautiful interpretation of the Mikhtab Me'eliyahu. The Mikhtab Me'eliyahu is a beautiful set of svarim written by Rav Elio Dessler, who passed away in 1953. He was the mashkiach in the Panavizhar Yeshiva. He was born in Lita. He was born in Europe. He was one of the great Bali Musar of our generation, great Bali Machshava. And Rav Dessler analyzes this passage, this Mishnah, Meseches Tainis, analyzes every line of it and takes it apart to learn different messages from what we see. So let's begin. Anu omdim utmeim. And we are astounded Yom Kippurim, on a day as serious, as contemplative, as reflective as Yom Kippurim, you're going to then try to have singles events. Lachal Bekramim means we're going to have dances outside. Machol means to have a dance. We're going to have dances outside by the vineyards on Yom Kippurim. Does that make sense? Avakumaduma says Rav Dessler, it seems to me. Says Rav Dessler, it would seem that Chazal had a very different understanding. Now, of course, we would never plan a singles event on Yom Kippur. That's because we don't understand what a shidduch is. Says Rav Dessler, if you understood what the process of shidduchim was all about, and you had your priorities straight, you would understand why it makes a lot of sense that even on Yom Kippur, we would be busy with this. Let's see what he writes. 
He quotes from a Targum in Sefer Echa. The Targum writes, commenting on the Pasuk, Darke Tzion Avelos The Pasuk there is describing the devastation, the tremendous, unbelievable void that existed after Churban Beis Hamikdash. So imagine to yourself, if you were trying to describe what is now lacking without a Beis Hamikdash. Well, there's no physical building that's been around for a very long time. There are no karbanos. People had the opportunity to connect with the Ribbona Shalom through offering sacrifices and karbanos. Probably the highlight of the year was Avodas Yom Kippurim, when everybody came together to watch the Kohen Gadol go into the Kodesh Kadashim and do all the Avoda in the big day Zav, in the big day Lavan. You get emotional on Yom Kippur when you just hear the Avoda being spoken about. Imagine if you were actually there. Imagine if you witnessed the Kohen Gadol when he comes out of the Kodesh HaKadoshim, B'Shalom believed Pega, when he came out and he was untainted and he was perfect and he got an atonement for the Jewish people. Imagine what that felt like the first year when that was missing. Imagine no Sanhedrin. No Sanhedrin means no more law and order in the community. Sanhedrin were the ones that made the rules. They were the Supreme Court Justice. They weren't politicized. They were straight and honest. But they were the Supreme Court of the Jewish community. Anytime there was a major communal issue, we knew we had an avenue. We knew we had an address to turn to. So we have no Beis Amigdash, no Karbanos, no Avodan Yom Kippur, no Kohen Gadol, no Sanhedrin, no Levim singing Shira. How sad. A beautiful concert every day. We didn't have that. And you know what else was missing? No singles event, says the Targum. Makes sense, right? Writes the Targum. When I'm listing all the different things that are lacking without a Beis Amigdash, one of the things that appropriately belongs on that list is the singles event. Right? Wrong. But the Targum includes it in everything else. How does that fit in this list? We're talking about the lofty ideals that were no longer a part of the Jewish community. We're talking about a lack of connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're talking about a lack of Kohanim and Leviim serving in the Beis Hamikdash. We're talking about a lack of law and order because there's no Sanhedrin. And you're worrying about the fact that we have no singles events? How does that fit into this list, says Rav Deslin? And he writes, the Pasuk says in Eicha, The streets of Yerushalayim were in mourning because they were empty. Nobody was left there. The Besulos means the young women were sad. Why were they sad? Says the Targum, because they lost their opportunity to have these wonderful events. Sounds like an inappropriate item to be part of this list. Says Rav Dessler after the three dots, It seems clear that the understanding of Chazal is that this get-together of the young men and women was so sacred 
was so solemn. And it ended and it terminated once the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed. Just like we were no longer able to be Ola Regal and visit the Beis Hamikdash, just like we couldn't bring Karbanos, so too we couldn't have the single event on Yom Kippur. Im Kain, if that's what Chazal say, then we have to really think deeply about what was going on at this singles event. In order to comprehend, in order to appreciate this equation that is being made by Chazal. And he says as follows. If I were to ask you, what is the essence of Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is a Yom Tif. Yom Kippur is a Yom Tif. What is the essence of Yom Kippur? Says Rav Dessler. The Gemara Mefurosh, the Gemara tells us that the reason why we have a sense of Simcha on Yom Kippur is Mishum Mechilas Avonos. Can there be a time in your life when you feel happier than the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has forgiven you? That's a great day of Simcha. Says the Gemara, this is why we have a sense of Simcha, of celebration on Yom Kippurim, because it's the day of Mechilas Avonos. Samchu B'Kavaras Avonosehem Ayyidei Sara Mishtaleach Ushara Vodos Yom Kippurim. Now, they used to integrate into that tremendous, overwhelming simcha that they felt from Mechilas Avonos. They used to integrate into that the simcha being Meshadech Shaduchim. Everybody used this opportunity. We're on such a high on Yom Kippur, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go make Shaduchim. What better time in the world to do that? Says Rav Dessler, Ki Yatzlam, because in their generation, Haisa Kedushas Hashiduchim, Ukedushas Yom HaKippurim, Shavos Nora HaKedusha. There was no discrepancy. The sanctity of Yom Kippur and the sanctity of a Jewish marriage are the same. And therefore, says Rav Dessler, if only we had our heads on straight, if only we were able to think about the proper priorities when getting married, and when continuing to be married, and when raising our families and understanding the opportunity that we have to bring Kedusha into the world, then we wouldn't have a question about this being an inappropriate time on Yom Kippur to be involved in this. It's the day where you repair your relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and just as sacred, it's also the day when we make relationships with human beings. And the only people, says Rav Dessler, who have a problem understanding this are the people who just don't have an appreciation for the sanctity, for the sacredness of Shaduchim and of marriage. The sanctity of marriage goes way beyond Taras HaMishpacha. It's not only Taras HaMishpacha. The sanctity of marriage is understanding that you're on a mission to do something. You're on a mission to accomplish something together that the Ribbon Shalom wants you to do. So yes, should a spouse be attracted to the other gender? Of course you need to be attracted. You're not going to be successful in your mission if you don't have an attraction to each other, if your personalities don't match. We would never tell someone to get married to a person they don't like. That wouldn't make sense. 
But if you find a person whom you do appreciate, if you find a person who is compatible, what do you do next? You don't just go for Taras HaMeshbacha classes. You think about what are we on a mission to build? What are we supposed to be doing together? Is this only about my physical attraction to you? Is this only about how much I appreciate your personality? Is that it? Is that where the marriage starts and ends? Or is there something larger that we believe with our heart of hearts we can actually accomplish together? That's the question. Says of Dessler, if only we understood that marriage was not superficial, marriage was not surface level, marriage was not cosmetic, marriage was not shallow. If we understood that marriage was sacred, marriage is bringing Kedusha into the world. It's making a new place for Hashra's Hashchina. The Gemara means it when it says, Ish ve'isha zachu, shchina shriya b'neim. We've all been to Sheva Brachas where they say it, but we don't believe it. Ish ve'isha zachu. The Gemara says, if you have the right kind of marriage. Some people mistakenly think the Gemara means, Ish ve'isha zachu. Oh, if they're lucky enough, then the shchina is going to be in their house. No, you have to create it. Ish ve'isha zachu means, if a husband and wife are talented enough, to get along and to build the foundation of a home that is built on the proper principles and foundations that really a Jewish home is supposed to be built on, then yes, shechina shruya b'neim. Then the shechina will be there. But we have to believe it. When you look into a shidduch, what questions do you ask? What do you care about? What questions actually matter? If your questions are all superficial questions... Again, you have a right to know superficial things. It's important. But if that's where it starts and ends, then you don't understand the sanctity of marriage. Then you don't understand what this is all about. Then your whole foundation is off. How do you expect the Shechina to be in that house? And that's where we have a question. You're making Shaduchan on Yom Kippur? The answer is, of course we make Shaduchan on Yom Kippur. Is there a more sacred thing to be doing on Yom Kippur than that? What else would we want to do on Yom Kippur? Now that we've shown that we have a perfect relationship with the Ribbon Shalolam, let us now recreate that in real life as well. Let's recreate that in our physical world. Let's build homes where the Ribbon Shalolam can have a presence in that home. That's the question. That's the question. So it's an opportunity to refocus on how we view the whole Parsha of Shaduchim, on what it's all about, on what the objectives and goals are supposed to be. And from this Mishnah alone, you see that Chazal had a very different perspective than often we have. I'm amazed sometimes at the calls that I get about members of our community. Now, I'm happy to say the calls that I get are not from members of the community. It's people out of the community who call about members of our community. But the questions that are asked I say to myself, not to myself, I talk to my wife about it. And I say to her all the time, I hope when our children are ready to get married, I don't sound like this. I hope nobody ever hangs up the phone with me and says, wow, I cannot believe I just had that conversation. I cannot believe what I was just asked. First of all, people ask things that I'm in no position to share. People ask, is there any history of mental health in the family? So think about it this way. 
If a family confided in me before Yom Kippur or Tisha B'Av that somebody's on some kind of medication because of a major mental health crisis, do you think I'm going to break their confidentiality and share that information with you? Again, it's a tricky balance because we know we know that you're not just allowed to let something terrible happen. If this person is not marriageable material because they have such an overwhelming illness or something that's very, very troubling, then what I choose to do is go speak to the person and say, look, you have to be open and upfront about what you're struggling with. You have to be transparent. It's very unfair to the other person. You have to show them You have to give them access to your therapist. You have to make sure that they have an opportunity to educate themselves and make a decision. You can't hide information. But I'm not at leisure to share that information. What kind of community would we have if every doctor we ever went to was called for shaduchin? You would never go to a doctor again, right? You would never go to a therapist. You would never go to a person who you trust because if you knew that they would get a call about Shaduchim, they would break your confidence. Who would ever trust a rabbi? I mean, a rabbi is the smallest of the issues, but who would ever trust anybody? Why would I ever share private information with someone that I trust if I know that when that person gets a call about Shaduchim, they're going to disclose private information that I shared with them? I don't have a right to do that. So somebody asked me, is there a history of mental health? I always say to them, there might be, there might not be. I have no idea. But even if there was, I want you to know, I would not be at liberty to share it with you. Now, it always makes them nervous. Oh, you you mean to tell me you're hiding things? I said, I know all kinds of things about people in the neighborhood. I'm not at liberty to share anything. I'm at liberty to share the information that is public, not information that is private. And that's not only the job of a rabbi to be confidential. It's the job of a friend. If somebody discloses information to you because they need to share something and get it off their chest, and then you turn around and share that information with people that they wouldn't have wanted you to share it with, that's a break of of their trust. That's very unfair to them. The Torah wouldn't allow us to do that. So we have to be very, very careful in Shaduchim in general. But I always think about it. Am I ever going to sound this crazy? when I look for a shidduch for my children. Now I feel blessed that I'm at a young enough age that other people are calling me now so I can formulate in my head now what I'm going to ask. But for real, let's think about it. What questions do we ask? Where are the priorities? Is our main focus and goal when we ask questions about shidduchim to figure out, will this marriage be one that can be successful? Will this marriage be one that can be built on the proper foundations of what a bias Hayehudi is supposed to be built on? Will this marriage bring the Shechina into their home? Does anyone ever think about that? Again, there are lots of things to consider. But does anyone ever think, will this individual be appropriate for my son, for my daughter, who wants to have the Shechina living in their home? Now, the problem is many of our sons and daughters don't care to have the Shechina living in their home. And that's very sad. That's poor chinuch on our part. Yes, we should take responsibility for that. But assuming that our children went to the right schools and grew up in a healthy home where they saw the Shechina in our home, let's assume that that's what they want for their children, for themselves. 
So how do I find an appropriate match for someone who's trying to create a presence of Shechina in their home? Those are the questions we should be asking. That's how we should be framing the questions. I'm not saying you shouldn't find someone attractive. Of course you need to find someone attractive. And of course the personalities have to fit. And a lot of other things need to fit. But what's the primary goal of the questions that you're asking and of the research that you're doing? And he writes further, As we said last week, one of the reasons why Tuba'av was a great day of celebration is because it was the day in which they finally completed cutting the Atzeh all of the wood that was necessary for the Mizbeach, for the Karbanos. And he says, They made a major celebration because a very difficult mitzvah was finally completed. Why are you setting people up? Because you're a yenta? Because you just like to know information? Or because you really care about people? Because you know that you're able to do something to make a foundation of a home be where it should be? Look at the purity, look at the innocence in the days of Chazal and the process of Shidduchim. Look how they viewed the sanctity of a shidduch. And look at what's lacking in our perspective on shidduchim today. I was so inspired by this perspective. We could have come to this perspective on our own. I don't think he's giving such a major breakthrough idea. But it's something I didn't think of when I read this Mishnah. I've always thought about the question. How could they do this on Yom Kippur? I never thought about the solution. Solution is obvious. If you understand the sanctity of Yom Kippur, and you understand the sanctity of marriage, then this is something that makes a lot of sense. My problem is that I never looked at marriage that way. And Chazal are teaching us what a marriage is. And what being engaged in the process of Shaduchim is really about. Rav Desla then analyzes the story and draws an additional amazing point. Look here in number Gimel. The Mishnah tells us, Mishnah says, Misha lo isha nifne l'sham. I'm sorry, it's not on the top. But who used to go there? Who used to go out looking for a shidduch on Yom Kippur? Misha ain lo isha nifne l'sham. Whoever was single used to go there. Writer of Desler, listen to this. Lokara me olam. It never happened. Sheyelech l'sham mi shelo haya omed lehishtadich. It never happened in the history of all of these singles mingling and getting together. It never once happened that somebody who didn't belong there showed up for curiosity purposes. The Mishnah makes a point to tell us that the only people who came are the people who were looking for a shidduch. That means not the mothers who wanted to take pictures of people who are dancing around and not anybody else who was just curious to see, oh, who's still in the dating scene and what's going on. The only people who went there are the ones who needed a shidduch. Ezo Kedusha Uzahirus. No such thing as a spectator. 
No such thing as a person who feels, no, I, I just need to know. I'm very involved in the community. I need to know. I know a lot of people. I do things. Nobody. Nobody ever said that. And we trusted the young men and women to go, to behave appropriately, to find the appropriate match, and we left everybody else out. And it's amazing. It's amazing that this gathering, that this assembly was limited. It was restricted. And it was reserved for only those people who it was intended for. We have an urge. I guess the proper word is an obsession. When I say we, I don't know anybody else in the room how much. I say me. I'll, I'll talk about myself for a minute here. I have what I believe is probably an urge that I share with lots of other people of my generation. It's an obsession to know everything about everything. Google has given us the opportunity to make it look like we know everything about everything. I just read an article the other day. I guess this is part of my obsession. I read articles. But I just read an article the other day that doctors hung up signs on their doors Please don't confuse your Google search with my medical degree. It happens all the time. You go to a doctor and they'll tell you. It's so difficult to treat patients today because every time you suggest something, they say, oh, well, I looked it up and it says not. Well, I have 25 years of experience and I've seen your case 150 times. Maybe you can trust me more than Google. So it's a generation where we just love information. Of course... Knowledge is very valuable, and it's good to have knowledge about different disciplines and different areas of life, and that's all important. But when we become obsessed with information and with knowledge, and it's no longer just a sincere desire to have knowledge, but just an obsession to know everything, what we call in Hebrew, sakranut, just an insatiable curiosity, to just know everything about everything. How about if we just let it go? How about if we just let it go a little bit? Not everything is my business. I don't need to know everything. And by the way, not everything is everybody else's business either. I don't need to post WhatsApp statuses all day when my children come home from camp and their suitcases are all over my house. Nobody else needs to know that. Why are you posting a picture of that? Why? Rabbi Leibowitz was talking to me recently and he said... I don't know if people have time to look at WhatsApp statuses. I was so inspired. I'm like, I guess I waste more time than he does. But to be fair, he's on Twitter, so he wastes time that I don't. So I don't know. We'll balance out. The time that he spends on Twitter, I spend looking at people's WhatsApp. I love looking at WhatsApp statuses. Not because I'm nosy. I just love to see how crazy people are. <laughs> people post such stupid things. Why would you post this? Your kid just came home from school, from camp. And their bags are all over the place. Why do I need to see a picture of this? I take a lot of pleasure in seeing it because I just, it, it reminds me of how insane people are. It's unbelievable. But why? Why does everybody share everything? And why am I interested in knowing that? So I can pretend like the reason why I'm interested in knowing is that I should know where the community is holding. It's not, the, it's not true. The reason I want to know is because I'm just curious. I'm just interested. I'm a member of this generation. I don't have Twitter because I think I would be looking at it all day long. Seeing this, this one is friends with that. I'm curious, what are they posting? What are they commenting? What are they writing? I'm interested in these things. 
if I was on there, it would be a rabbit hole I would never get out of. Which is why, and I think a lot of other people who are on it are in that problem, just they're not self-aware enough to realize that they should get off of it. But what has it gained in my life from seeing everybody's posts and everybody's comments? What? Have I become a better person in any way because of it? Maybe. Maybe once in a while there's something that's inspiring. In the defense of Rabbi Leibowitz, I'm not putting him down. He posts on Twitter things that are inspirational, meaningful, uh, good quotes that he hears, like things that people can actually grow from. But he is the miut shebe miut on Twitter. He is the se'achas ben shivim ze'evim. He is the one good in a sea, in an ocean of really bad. So compound that with those who not only are on Twitter, but also on Reddit and on Facebook and on TikTok. For all those who are making faces because they don't know what these are, you're so blessed. (laughs) You're so blessed. But every one of the high school children in our community knows exactly what all these things are. They're a thousand steps ahead of us. They don't just know what they are. They're on all of all. They're on, actively engaged in all of these apps. They all have their own phones. They are spending so much time every day looking, just looking, not looking to grow, not looking to inspire themselves, just looking, l'shem looking, looking for curiosity. Do you know the altar from Kelim, who was known as one of the greatest Bali Musar of the last generation? The altar from Kelim felt that he had to work on this midas hasakranus. He had to work on people's curiosity. They're too curious. People are just too curious to see what's going on all the time. So they made a rule in the yeshiva. The rule was they used to get letters in the mail. They made a rule. I forgot what it was. I, I once read this, I think, in the Sefer, Tenuas HaMusr. I, I couldn't find it yesterday. But... They made a rule that when somebody got a letter in the yeshiva's office and they informed you that you had a letter, they would put the letter by your bed or by your desk and you had to wait two or three days to open it. When was the last time you waited two or three minutes to open an email? To open a text, to open a WhatsApp message. You get it, second you get it, I gotta respond. And then you respond and you say things you didn't wanna say, you regret it. I think about it often. You know, autocorrect. We get very annoyed that autocorrect sometimes writes things that we shouldn't write. So I thought to myself, when I send something and it autocorrected, and then I look at it and I say, oh man, I can't believe I just wrote that. Obviously, the other person understands that it was a mistake. But why was I in such a rush to send it? If I would have taken one extra second to just read it before I sent it, this wouldn't have happened. So it's true, autocorrect is sometimes very annoying, but there's one very simple solution. You don't need to press send so quickly. But that's the generation we live in. Everything needs to be right away. We need to know everything. We need to be plugged in with everybody. We need to watch everybody's WhatsApp statuses and Facebook messages, and we need to follow everybody's Instagram stories and the reels that are going. And of course, since the Instagram story is going to expire after 24 hours, I got to watch it immediately because otherwise I'm going to miss it. And what's going to happen if you miss it? But says Rav Dessler, you know what was amazing about this process of Shaduchim in the times of Chazal? What was amazing about it was the fact that not a single person came for curiosity purposes. Kol mi she'en lo isha nifna l'sham. 
The only people who showed up were the ones who this event was relevant for. And there was nobody showing up, just happened to be walking by looking for a minion. There was nobody who just happened to be there because, oh, I forgot something there. Nobody who just happened to be taking selfies and getting pictures of everybody else. The only people there were the ones who belonged there. Says Rav Dessler, what a Musr Haskell. What an amazing lesson, what an amazing message that that teaches us about how to tone down our sense of curiosity. Curiosity is generally a good thing. Young children are curious. That's how they learn a lot. But sometimes curiosity becomes an obsession. And what Chazal means to tell us here is, it is possible to do something privately that nobody else has to know about other than the people it's intended for. That means it is possible that my children could come home for dinner one night. It's possible. And I'm going to serve them dinner and we're all going to sit around the table and I'm not going to post the picture. It's possible. It's doable. It's important to think about. He then continues and he writes, number Dalit. You notice that it said in the Mishnah, they all came with Kli Lavan Shu'ulim. They all came with white garments that were borrowed. Writes Rav Dessler once again, Kan Megalim Anu Parsha Acheres. Now, this gives us the opportunity to appreciate another aspect of this very special singles event that they had. It's a parsha bitachon and chesed. It's a parsha bitachon and chesed. How so? When you look for a shidduch, people say, you know, Amir Tashem by you. Think about the words that you're saying. Amir Hashem means, if Hashem wants. Im Yirza Hashem. I sometimes think about it. Really? Im Yirza Hashem? If Hashem wants, I'll get married? I really hope He wants. We should say, Be'ezra Hashem, with the help, with the helping hand of the Ribbon Shalolam, you will get married. Not, if He wants, you'll get married. Okay. But to realize that there's a tremendous amount of bitachon that is part of the process of Shidduchim. Rabbi Willig once told me he lives in the same building, in the same apartment building in Riverdale as the Rosh Hashiva of the Telzu Yeshiva in Riverdale. So they're good friends from being in the building together all these years. Rav Ozband. And I think he told me that Rabbi Ozband told him a number of years ago when he was looking for a Shidduch for one of his children that Shidduchim is the great equalizer. It can be the biggest Rosh Hashiva. You can be very well known but you have to find a shidduch for your child. And you have to do your hishtablas like everybody else. And you have to make your phone calls. And you have to try. He said, maybe it's a little easier for me because I have more contacts, because I know more people, because I've been around to different communities. Maybe more people know my children. But in the end of the day, he said, it's a humbling experience. It's a humbling experience to realize that this is not in my hands. It's not in my hands. I can try. I can do whatever I can to try to help my child. But in the end, I need to come to a sense of bitachon in the Ribbona Shalom. I need to believe that. If I don't believe that, I'm missing such a major component of Shidduchim. You look around, sometimes you see a shidduch and you say, wow, this is so miyad Hashem, this really like never ever would have happened unless God put it together. Sometimes it's shidduch, oh, makes sense. This family knows that family, okay, they put it together, makes sense. And we sometimes lose the fact that 
There's so much involvement of the Rebbeinu Shalom that's necessary. The Gemara wasn't joking when it says that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is mezavig zivugin. It's not simple to put two people together. Two people from different families, from different backgrounds, who have different interests, who have different wants. And yet they come together and somehow, most of the time it works. Most of the time they're successful in building something beautiful together. But that's a miracle every time. It's a miracle every single time. And we need to remember that this process requires a tremendous amount of bitachon. And here he says, this was the ultimate expression of bitachon. What does a person do when they want a shidduch? My mother always told me, best foot forward, right? Of course, any normal person would say that. Don't put your worst foot forward, right? That's not smart. Now, is the person going to have to deal with my worst foot Worst foot at some point? Yes, they're going to have to. Are they going to have to deal with me on a bad day? Yes, they're going to have to. Are they going to have to deal with me when I'm sick in bed and have the flu? Yes, but should I go on a date when I'm sick in bed and have the flu? No, I don't need them to meet me in that way. And what we try to do in Shaduchim is, everybody wants to show how uniquely special and significant they are. So we try to do something that highlights what is unique to my persona, to my personality, to my life. Almost as if to say, I'm deserving of your love, correct? Because look how different I am than everybody else. Everybody else you've dated is in this category. I'm deserving of your appreciation because I am different from all of them. And look, I'll prove it to you. I'm different because I'm smarter. I'm different because I'm better looking. I'm different because look at the clothing that I buy. Look at the family I come from. Look how much money I have. Look what schools I went to. Look, I was the valedictorian. All kinds of things. All kinds of things. But what we're trying to do when we highlight those issues or those points is we're trying to say everybody else is in category X and I stand alone in category Y and that's why I'm deserving of your love. That's why I'm deserving of your appreciation. Correct? No, you don't agree. You don't agree. That's my feeling. You do agree. Thank you. Somebody who's in Shaduchim agrees with me. So, Rav Desla writes, by definition, there's an incredible lack of bitachon when you work that way. What you're trying to say is, I believe that I'm worthy of the shidduch because I'm so smart, because I'm so beautiful, because I dress so nicely, because I have so much money, and not because the Rebona Shalom wants me to have that shidduch. That's what he says. And I find this like an exercise in, in... My head exploded when I read through this. I was so excited to teach this today because it just gives such a new spin on, on this whole parsha. There's so much talk about shidduchim. I don't believe... I have ever heard anything like this. That just gives perspective. Breaks it down. Makes us understand what are we doing when we look for a shidduch? What are we trying to accomplish? And he says as follows. We're in number dollar. A young woman goes out to try to find a shidduch. You can be the most modest, quiet, soft-spoken personality Midakdekes Lilvos Simla Yafa Kedei Lasos Roshem Tov. 
even that very unassuming person will still make sure best foot forward. They'll still make sure, even though they're very modest and very quiet, they're going to try to make the best impression that they can. And they're going to make sure to have an appearance which is going to be the best that it can possibly be. And he says, let me make it very clear. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, they always say, they tell the girls, make sure you get dressed. I tell the guys, make sure you get dressed. You also should look nice. Why didn't you shave and why didn't you change your clothing? Why don't you respect the girl enough to get dressed and take a shower before you go on a date? Am I wrong? Thank you. You'll say I'm wrong, you'll say I'm right. Okay. It's not on the girl only. It's on both parties to make a good impression on the other. Now, says Rav Dessler, and Gennai there's nothing wrong. You should make a good impression. People are very impressionable. People are very taken by the relationships that they develop with others. So we should try to do the best we can to make other people be impressed with us. Aval, he says, lo kedoros ha'achronim hadoros harishonim. Our generation is not at all similar to what was in the days of Chazal. Khan, he says, when they had the singles event there, kulan bechli lavan pshutin. What did everybody wear? The same white clothing. Pshutin. Nobody wore jewelry. Nobody wore anything fancy. Kulan shavos. Everybody's clothing were identical. It was almost a uniform. Everybody wore the same thing. There was nobody who was trying to dominate the conversation. There was nobody who was trying to outclass anybody else or outshine them. There was no outpacing another family. There was no, I'm richer than you and therefore I can afford more than you and therefore I'm going to be more dressed up and the boy is going to be more impressed. None of that. No ra'os, he says. The sensitivity, the awareness that they had to other people was enormous. And then he says, No Do you understand the level of bitachon that is required for someone to be able to do that? It's not just chesed. It's not just being mindful and sensitive to other people. It's a tremendous amount of bitachon. I'm giving myself over to the ribonah shalolam and I'm saying, I'm going to forgo all of my beautiful outfits that I wear to weddings and everything else that I get dressed up on on Shabbos and Yantif and whatever I could wear to make somebody most impressed and I'm giving myself over in your hands. I'm going outside to give everybody the same fair chance that I have to find an appropriate match and I want you to know that I trust that you're going to help me find it. It's not going to happen because somebody's impressed by what I'm wearing. Because look what I did. I gave my clothing away to someone else and I'm wearing these rags outside like everyone else's. Something I wouldn't even wear as pajamas in my house. But this is what we're all going to wear together. Now he says, They borrowed. Even if I could afford a finer quality of white clothing, even if I could afford the premium, the deluxe edition of this uniform. There are uniforms and there are uniforms. Everybody can have the same uniform, but some people have to have the designer uniform. Even though it looks the same, it's not. Says from Dessler, even if I could afford that, and in the end I would look pretty similar to everybody else, no. 
What everybody did back then was they borrowed from each other. Everybody borrowed from each other. Why did they do this? Look how mindful, look how sensitive people were to each other. You now still have a question why we do this on Yom Kippur? Is there anything that shows the beauty of the Jewish people more than this event? Look at the incredible bitachon that they have in the Ribbona Shalom in doing so. Look at the unbelievable sensitivity they have to their fellow single mates who are there going to this event and all looking for the same thing. Look what mindfulness, look what sensitivity, look what caring. How amazing. And then he says, Khan. And who are we describing? Lo albinos adar. The Mishnah is not saying that this is what the daughters of the Tanoim and Amoraim did. But rather, the Mishnah is saying, This was the average member of the community went along with this. Benos Yushalayim. Regular people. This is how they lived. With a sense of tremendous bitachon, with a sense of unbelievable caring and sensitivity to others, with a consciousness. Me'ata shema navin b'mikzas. Now maybe we'll begin to understand. Now he says you can understand the Targum. When the Targum explains what was lost without a Beis Hamikdash, says the Targum, we lost the Beis Hamikdash, we lost the Levim singing Shira, we lost the Yavod and the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippurim, we lost the Sanhedrin, and we lost everything else. All of that beautiful experience. And you know what else we lost? We lost the incredible singles event that happened every year. And that was a huge loss. Because we no longer have a perspective of the sanctity of Jewish marriages. We no longer understand what Shaduchim are all about. We no longer have that opportunity to show a complete selflessness when we go out and we look for exactly what everybody else is looking for and yet I'm willing to throw myself into the hands of the Ribbonu Shalom and say, this is on you. I'm going to do my Ishtadlis and go outside. I'm going to go out to the event. Of course, I'm not going to skip it. But I believe with my heart of hearts that you are the one ultimately who's going to bring me the Yeshua. You are the one who's going to bring me the appropriate match. That was lost with Churban Beis Amigdash. And that is an enormous loss. A loss of priorities. A loss of understanding. A loss of depth. A loss of appreciation for how deeply profound our marriages and our homes can be. So when I saw this, as I said, I was excited to share it because I was so inspired. I know there's a whole second side here, but we'll have to save it for another time. A lot more to talk about. But to me, this gave me an opportunity to really just be reminded of what it is that we look forward to. What is it that Amir to Hashem we daven for? But we want to base on Migdash. It's not only the service, it's also the sense of priorities. It's a sense of perspective. The B'nai Sashar, I'll close with this comment. B'nai Sashar quotes from the Oiv Yisrael, the Abderav. It's a Hasidic shot. 
and it's beautiful. I once said in a shir, it's a Hasidic shot, but it's beautiful. And somebody hounded me online for that. What do you mean, but it's beautiful? Hasidic shabshatim are beautiful. I go, okay. I didn't mean to say but. I should say it is a Hasidic shot and it is absolutely beautiful. I wish I was as careful in my speech as people are in listening to me. Okay. Chazal tell us, in the end of days, Asid HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lasos Machal Latzadikim. In the end of days, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to make a machol, a dance for all the righteous people. Okay, sounds very nice. I don't know if I'll be there. Hopefully we all aspire to be righteous in our own ways and we'll be able to be invited to this dance. Says the Bnei Yisachar, what does the Gemara mean to tell us that there's going to be a dance for the tzaddikim? What is the intended purpose? So I should live my whole life trying to get to Olam Haba so that then I'll be able to be invited to the dance? Really? Is that so exciting? It doesn't sound so exciting. Says the Bnei Yisachar, what is special about a dance? A machol means a circle. What is special about a circle? What's special about a circle is that everybody is equidistant from the middle. No person is in front of another. You have something in the middle, and everybody in the circle has the same, pers- not the same perspective because you're standing in different sides, but as you move around, you get to see the entire picture, and at no point is anyone ahead of anybody else. All of us have the opportunity to hold hands, to stand in a circle, and to observe what's in the middle. Once people start pushing and going ahead, that's when it becomes complicated. But if everybody is respectful and we remain in one big circle, we will all have the opportunity to experience that which is in the middle. And we're going to have an equal opportunity to do that. As he writes, Ein rosh ve'en sof. There's no start, there is no end. When I have a line, somebody's at the front, someone's at the back. When I call out a roster in class and I start with A or I start with Z, Somebody's always going to get the short end of the stick. But here, where I have a circle, everybody has equal opportunity. Hakol Shaveh, he writes. Everybody is equal when we have this experience of a circle. What does that mean? What we look forward to in the end of days is Asid HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lasos Machol Latzadikim. One day in the end of days, we're not going to be superficial anymore. I'm no longer going to look at I have more power than you. I'm in a better position than you are. I have more money than you have. I am smarter than you are. I'm a better person. I have better children. I have a better community, a nicer house, a better car, a more successful business. A million and one things we can say. Which is part of the experience of our lives. It's part of the way we look at each other. It's part of the way our communities are structured. We have power differences. We have different people who are in different positions. And there are implications for that. What do we look forward to? The day, Asid HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lasos Machol Latzadikim. We look forward to the day when we're not going to have to deal with this anymore. When life is going to be one big circle. Machol Latzadikim means HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to stand in the middle. Va'amar bayom ahu that's the Navi describing what's going to happen in the end of days. We're all going to have the opportunity equally to point at the middle and say, Hinei Elokeinu Zeh. 
and you don't have a better view or perspective than I do. And all of us can put all of our superficiality aside, and all of us can put all of our positions aside, and all of our covet aside, and all of our jealousy aside, and we can all say equally, we are here to celebrate something in common. We are here to put everything else away. We are here to look at what's in the middle and to appreciate what that is. I always thought that's what it means when we say in our tefillah on Rosh Hashanah, Hashave umashve katon v'gadol v'chalma aminim. We all believe that our Kaddish Baruch Hu is Hashave umashve katon v'gadol. In his world, there's no, oh, you're the executive vice president of this and you're the prime minister of that. The Rebbe Shalom doesn't care. In his eyes, you're all nothing. Or you're all everything. But you're all equal. That's the machol tzaddikim. We are proud to believe in a God that is shave umashve katon v'gadol. In HaKadosh Baruch Hu's world, all of us are given equal opportunity. That's what's lacking. Now here comes the Hasidus Ben. Amazing. He says, the Mishnah tells us, There is no greater celebration than the 15th day of Av. Did I put this on here? No. No greater celebration than the 15th day of Av. Says the Bnei Yisachar, it doesn't mean Kechamisha Aser Ba'av, the 15th day of the month of Av, but rather Kechamisha Aser Ba'alef base. What is the 15th letter of the sequence of the Aleph base? Count. Aleph, base, Gimel, Dalit, Hey, Vav, Zion, Ches, Tes, Yud, Kaf, Lamed, Mem, Nun, Samach. What is the happiest time in Jewish life? Kechamisha Aser Ba'alef Beis. When we learn to live in a community that understands and appreciates what a circle is all about. That's the greatest sense of celebration. When we can all be in a Samach together, we can all stand in that Machal tzaddikim and feel no jealousy for one another and not care about what anybody else has and not be interested in pushing before anyone else or trying to put our best foot forward so that we get more privileges than other people have. But to be able to say, I'm here to appreciate what's in front of me and I'm excited that you have the same opportunity that I have. And I'm happy that you can stand in the circle right next to me and we can hold hands and you can have the same experience that I hope to have. That's what we're missing. That's the simcha of Hamisha Aser Ba'alef Beis. The 15th, not the 15th day of Av, but the 15th letter of the Aleph Beis is what gives us the greatest amount of simcha. To have that experience is something that we look forward to, that we daven for every day. And this is something that I believe gave me a tremendous amount of perspective in seeing all of this and understanding a little bit more what stands behind things that we encounter and engage every day. I felt it was an opportunity for me to reprioritize, to reacquaint myself with what the foundations of Jewish life are really all about, what it is that we feel so lacking and bereft of without it, and what it is that we daven for and aspire toward in our tefillah, when we ask that HaKadosh Baruch Hu bring us to that day, when he will make that circle and he will be able to show all of us that it is possible 
to live back in that kind of experience which existed in the times of Chazal. That experience of everybody respecting each other, that experience of everybody appreciating one another, and that experience of everybody being there to support one another as well. Just a uh, reminder.